Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, let's get this party started. Sorallo Sports Talk right here, right now with me, Joe Sorallo. You're locked into the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. Auburn men's basketball coach Bruce Pearl gearing up to join the show later on in the hour. I can't wait to talk to the reigning SEC Coach of the Year, three-time SEC Coach of the Year, of course, about all things Auburn putting basketball players into the pros, conference realignment, and a whole lot more. But let's dive in to this Baker Mayfield news to kick the hour off. Baker Mayfield is headed to the Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns could not have botched their handling of Mayfield any worse than they did. The Browns gone Browns at the end of the day, folks. I mean, the Cleveland Browns, there's a reason that there are first-class organizations a la the New England Patriots, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and then there are organizations who just no matter what kind of talent they have, what kind of expectations, even in Cleveland's case, what kind of a season they have a couple years ago, they can't get out of their own way. They may be a flash in the pan, they may have success, they may go to the playoffs, maybe even win a playoff game, but at the end of the day, bad organizations are just going to eventually shoot themselves in the foot and blow it up. And the Cleveland Browns handling of Baker Mayfield this offseason, going out there, making it known that they were ready to part ways. You know, if they're not happy with Baker Mayfield's performance from a year ago, and the thing for me is don't get it twisted, I'm not a huge Baker Mayfield fan, right? But when you look at what happened a year ago, I almost want to commend Baker Mayfield for going out there week after week. Baker Mayfield was not healthy at all last season, right? That shoulder injury was nagging him the entirety of the season. This is a guy who was bruised and banged up from start to finish Yet he went out there every week he was permitted to, every week he could, and tried his best to put put his team, to put the Cleveland Browns in a position to win. You know, I mean, if the Cleveland Browns want to fault him for that, maybe they shouldn't have let him play. Maybe they should have shut him down and just taken the L, chalked the season up as a lost season, and let him get healthy and come back this year. But instead, they pushed him. They let him go out there injured when he probably shouldn't have been playing. And this offseason... They want to make Baker Mayfield the scapegoat. And they go and pursue Deshaun Watson, who, look, there is no question in the world Deshaun Watson is a far superior talent to Baker Mayfield. Do you want the baggage? Do you want the baggage that comes with Deshaun Watson? Do you want to pay him a record-setting contract knowing that he might not play a down this season or at least might not play four, six, eight weeks for you this season, you're going to give him a record-setting contract and you are going to scapegoat and ultimately isolate the quarterback who so far throughout his four years in the National Football League has given your franchise everything he's got. I'm not saying he's been a Pro Bowl quarterback week in and week out, but he's given the Cleveland Browns everything he's got. He got him to the playoffs, won a playoff game for the first time in 20 years, first time in two decades for the Cleveland Browns. And they're just going to kick him to the curb for Deshaun Watson and all of the atrocious baggage that comes along with it. You know, if 
the, if Deshaun Watson ends up with a lengthy suspension and the Cleveland Browns end up 4-13 and 13 this year, it serves that franchise, that organization right for the way that they conduct themselves, the way that they handle themselves and their players. Baker Mayfield is going to be laughing at the end of the day because the Carolina Panthers might not be a better team roster-wise than the Cleveland Browns. The Carolina Panthers are going to have a better season than the Cleveland Browns. In fact, the Carolina Panthers, they might just mess around and make the playoffs. This team, if you look at what they have around Baker, now there are so many variables. And, and I can't sit here and say the Carolina Panthers are going to go 10-7 and 7 for sure and they're going to come in second place. Don't get it twisted. There are so many variables. The Panthers might, you can argue, have more variables on their roster than any other team in the NFL. More what-ifs. This is a team that can go 5-12. and 12. This is a team that can go 10-7, and 7, right? They have a bigger range of possibilities for the upcoming season than I think any team in football. And Baker Mayfield's not the reason for that. He, he is a reason, but he's not the reason. The reason is Christian McCaffrey. If Christian McCaffrey bounces back. Now look, this is a guy who we all know when he's healthy, he might be the best running back in the National Football League. Is he going to lead the league in rushing yards? God no. Is he going to have 2,000 all-purpose yards? That's very, very realistic if he plays a full, especially now a 17-game full season. So Christian McCaffrey, he is the X factor. If he can stay healthy, if he can play 15 out of 17 games for the Carolina Panthers this season, They've got a shot at making the playoffs because I said it in the open. I've said it in many episodes before. The NFC is weak this year. The NFC is wide open this year. You have the Rams, you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then you have five playoff spots that are entirely up for grabs in the NFC. I mean, look at the North. I'm not sold on the Packers. I think the Vikings could win the division. I think the Vikings could just as easily go 7-10. and 10. NFC East, only God knows who's going to win that division. Wild card spots, completely up for grabs. It's the Rams, it's the Bucks, and then it's the rest. And Carolina could, if everything goes right for this team, if McCaffrey stays healthy, there's no question, we all know his talent, if Robbie Anderson decides, all right, I want to give Baker Mayfield a shot, I mean, all of a sudden you've got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Terrace Marshall. It's not like the Panthers have a bad receiving core. The offensive line, I love the right side with Austin Corbett and Taylor Moton. The left side, that's going to be a question mark, but the potential on the left side of that Panthers offensive line. Look, Iki Iquanu, everyone knows I'm happy. I'm thrilled with how the Giants handled the first round of the draft, how my Giants went out and got Kayvon Thibodeau and got Evan Neal. But I've also said, knowing the Panthers were not going to draft Kayvon Thibodeau, I would have taken Iquanu at five and then Thibodeau at seven as opposed to Thibodeau at five, Aquanu goes at six, and then you're left with Neil at seven. Again, you know, look, maybe that's just me being, you know, too picky, too choosy right there. Neil, Aquanu, I think they're both home runs, but Aquanu was my favorite offensive lineman in the draft of this year. And he's versatile as hell. I mean, he's going to step in, play left tackle down in Carolina, down for Matt Rule's offense. And this guy is arguably at this point in his career, or at least out of college, I should say, he's going to be a rookie. You can argue Aquanu is a more ferocious, fierce run blocker 
than a pass blocker. So I know Christian McCaffrey, if he's able to stay healthy, he's going to appreciate that. But Aquanu's versatile. I think he does it all well. Baker's going to have blindside protection. He's got great right side protection. He's got weapons in the receiving core. What about the defense? What about the defense? Carolina had the number two defense in the National Football League a season ago, folks. Number two defense in the NFL. Yeah, that flies under the radar, right? I mean, this is a team that only the Bills allowed fewer, uh, allowed fewer yards last season. Carolina's secondary. Look, J.C. Horn is a dog. I mean, this kid's got fight. This kid's got pit bull in him. And he's not the only first-round cornerback in that secondary. You've got C.J. Henderson probably, I mean, maybe can earn his way into the starting role, but C.J. Henderson probably going to be a rotational cornerback. Now, has he been a bit of a disappointment? No doubt. But who isn't when you get drafted by Jacksonville, right? If Henderson can find it back there and fit his role and do his job, it's a great secondary in Carolina. Not only were they the number two overall defense a year ago, number four passing defense, and then you look up front. I mean, you have edge rushers like Brian Burns, who we've all seen what Burns can do. You've got Derek Brown clogging up holes in the middle. You've got Itur Gross Matos out of Penn State. Corey Littleton holding down that linebacking core. The Carolina Panthers. You know, Matt Rule got a lot of flack for it. His first draft, he went only defense. The Carolina Panthers have a really damn good defense. And if Baker Mayfield can go out there and lead this offense, if he can be healthy and if he can have his head screwed on right, and if Christian McCaffrey can stay healthy... I know that there's a lot of ifs, but this is a team that's built on ifs right now. And if all of those variables go the right way or at least stay on the field because injuries are a huge concern in Carolina, if those variables go the Panthers' way, look, this is a team that started off 3-0 and a year ago. And I know that they had a really easy schedule the first three weeks of the season, but nonetheless, they were 3-0, and and that was with Sam Darnold at quarterback. Sam Darnold's not a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. Baker, I don't think is top 15, but maybe top 20, maybe top 25. If they can stay healthy, if we get the Baker from 2020 as opposed to 2021, the Carolina Panthers can make the playoffs. More on them, more on the MLB All-Star Game that's coming up when we get back. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk right here, right now on SportsMap Radio. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into the Believe Hour right here, right now on SportsMap Radio. Just a reminder to all of you, make sure you go follow me on social media for some behind-the-scenes content that I just can't simply share with you in an hour together every week. Right now, head over to my Instagram, at Joe Serralo. Head over to my Twitter and my TikTok, at the Joe Serralo. On both of those, you'll be able to see their video of my interview with Bruce Pearl that is going to air in about 15 minutes I've got clips up there, teasers on there. I give out daily best bets. Who doesn't like making some money? I might give you one at the end of this hour, but I give out numerous best bets every day. And by the way, I've won 15 out of my last 18, so I'm pretty damn good at it too. Head over to my socials, interact with me. You can do it all there, at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter and TikTok. And one thing that is up on my socials right now and will also be up tomorrow is my all-star game roster predictions. American League got posted today. National League will be up tomorrow. Look, we've got to talk about the all-star game. I mean, I think that fan voting needs to become a thing of the past. I am just sick and tired in all sports, not just baseball, but I am sick and tired of fan voting botching 
who should be the rightfully deserved starter in an all-star game because and, and I know that this probably means more in baseball than any other sport right in basketball you've got the all NBA teams and football you've got the all pro teams in baseball being an all-star still is really valued and, and you know baseball you can argue that it's one of the many antiquated features of the game of baseball that haven't caught up but the all-star game it, to me is just so much more of an honor in the MLB than it is in the other sports and fan voting takes away from that right for example this year and there's no question he's one of the best players in the game but Ronald Acuna who has not even played 50 games this year should not be a starting outfielder for the National League in the All-Star game I I'm sorry you know and I know that when he's played he's been great although his OPS this year is actually slightly down from his career OPS but you know leads the leads outfielders in the National League in stolen bases he's got 17 of them considering he hasn't even played 50 games that's an incredible feat but the guy's got seven home runs and he doesn't even have 20 RBI on the season I mean come on hasn't played 50 games under 20 RBIs he should not be the starting outfielder or one of the starting outfielders for the National League in the All-Star game and it's fan voting that's ruined that and you know Braves fans this year and every year there's you know one fan base or another this year it just happens to be Braves fans that are stuffing the ballots you've got Acuna who was the leading vote getter so now even though you know we're in phase two which of course as I mentioned wraps up tomorrow Friday July 8th at 1 p.m eastern we're in phase two of voting where at every infield position at DH it's a runoff between the top two in outfield it's a runoff between the guys who finished second through fifth those four guys the leading outfield vote getter Aaron Judge in the American League and Ronald Acuna in the National League they're safe they're starters and Ronald Acuna has simply not been the best outfielder in the National League this season and that's why I mean you know look for the most part I'll give fans credit this year they've gotten most of it right although Ozzy Albies another brave ironically uh being a finalist at second base makes absolutely zero sense first off he's out for the season uh he's been out for quite some time and even when he was healthy as great as baseball as the Braves have been playing Ozzy Albies has actually been or was the weak link on the Braves when he was healthy I mean guys like Austin Riley stepping up Acuna since he's been back has been fantastic Travis Darno's been hitting Braves have been getting offense from all different sources Dansby Swanson really since May 1st has been the best shortstop in baseball and you know that's going to be a heated race between him and Trey Turner that's going to come down pretty much to the final minute Turner of course had the phenomenal April has been great all season Swanson been leaps and bounds ahead of Turner since May 1st but the Braves have gotten it from everywhere Ozzy Albies frankly was not playing good baseball at all prior to his injury yet Jeff McNeil who's hitting 320 he's got the second best average in the National League behind only Paul Goldschmidt who's inevitably going to be the MVP at least he's on pace to be the National League MVP this season if he keeps this up hitting 340 second in the NL and RBIs only to Pete Alonso you've got Jeff McNeil 320 batting average uh, uh second best in the whole league didn't even get the second most votes among second basemen so fan voting I'm really over it you know you look at the American League right now at DH you've got a dead tie your Don Alvarez Shohei Otani both at 50 percent of the vote and I mean this is a tough one because Shohei Otani is so transcendent and he's one of one and he's a unicorn and he's absolutely incredible but when you're looking at just the DH position right because you're not voting for Shohei Otani the starting pitcher 
you're voting for Shohei Otani, the DH here up against Jordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez has been the best hitter in baseball. And this should be no question, no contest. So for Jordan Alvarez to have a chance, a legitimate chance to not be an all-star game starter, it's it's crap. It's, it's absolutely crazy to think that Jordan Alvarez, who has been the best hitter in baseball this year, he's hitting 312, he leads the entire major leagues in OPS, his power numbers are off the charts, and yet he might not start the all-star game. And again, Otani is not... I mean, you know, he's not a bad runner-up. He should be the runner-up. He, he has been the second-best DH in baseball this season from purely a hitting perspective. But Alvarez has been the best, and Alvarez should be the starter. You know, you look at outfield in the American League, right? And the Yankees already, their fans voted in Judge. And look, I shouldn't say their fans, right? Because as much as I hate the Yankees, Aaron Judge has been the best outfielder in baseball all season. But Giancarlo Stanton right now is slightly ahead of George Springer to be the third starter for uh, AL outfielders. And Giancarlo Stanton's a DH. Come on, Giancarlo Stanton has actually DH'd the majority of the games he's played in this season. But if he was a DH on the ballot, he wouldn't compare to Alvarez or Otani. And, And it's garbage to me. Giancarlo Stanton is not playing as much outfield as George Springer. Or how about a guy like Kyle Tucker? Or the rookie phenom Julio Rodriguez out in Seattle. I mean, these are all guys who are more deserving than Giancarlo Stanton, who actually, oh, by the way, play the outfield. And it's just when you see things going on like Stanton being listed as an outfielder and getting voted in, when you see Alvarez, the best hitter in baseball this season, him and Aaron Judge, pretty much the top two hitters in baseball, and Goldschmidt, and Alvarez might not start at DH. It's absolutely insane. The National League. When you've got Ozzy Albies as a finalist and he's been on the shelf for a month and he stunk when he wasn't on the shelf. Meanwhile, Jeff McNeil is at this point going to hope, the guy with the second best average in the National League is going to hope he gets selected as a reserve. I mean, it's fan voting is, is not great. I will say this, when it comes to the All-Star game, and you can go at the Joe Sorallo on Twitter, check out my my. 32-man projection. I didn't project that 33rd spot that the commissioner is going to appoint because, I mean, for all we know, Manfred in the National League, it's listed as a legend spot, so I get it. He could appoint Pujols to the National League team, so it's not worth messing around with that. I did the 32 true All-Stars, and in the American League, I genuinely feel bad about the pitchers I selected because, not because I think I got any of them wrong, but there's so damn many. You look at pitching this year, and it's funny because offense is down, Right? I'm looking at like the National League outfield. You've got Acuna, who's already locked in. Mookie's a no-brainer. And then you've got Jock Peterson, who currently is third in the voting. Marte right behind him for the Mets at fourth. And I would argue Marte is having a better year than Jock Peterson in every category except home runs, obviously. But either way, whether you think Jock should be starting or you think Starling Marte should be starting in a normal year, I don't think either of them would be starting. You look at you look at offensive production in baseball this year, and especially that National League outfield just caught my eye. It is down heavy. But then you look at pitching, and it's like, man, there's only 12 spots for pitchers, at least three relievers, at least five starters. And I'm looking through the American League pitchers that I selected. And I mean, I don't think you could tell me any of the guys I picked shouldn't be all-stars. But man, I felt really bad leaving Framber, uh, Framber Valdez with Houston off the team, lefty with his 2.6 ERA. Or leaving Kevin Gausman down in Toronto, who's got great strikeout numbers and a 286 ERA. I had to leave him off the team. 
I mean, these American League pitchers, it's like right now, the 12 guys I rolled with were nine starters, Verlander, McClanahan, Alec Manoa, Dylan Cease, who's 13 Ks per nine, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez from the Bronx, Martin Perez in Texas having a career year, and Logan Gilbert, the young sensation in Seattle who's got 10 wins. Only Verlander's got more in the MLB, winning his 11th game today. And then because Oakland, of course, needs a representative, I went Frankie Montas. You flip a coin, Montas or Blackburn out with Oakland. Blackburn's got a better record. Montas has more strikeouts. I mean, you flip a coin there, but Oakland's got to get a representative. And then you look at the three relievers, and Clay Holmes has been the best relief pitcher in baseball for the Yankees, really just stepping in and giving them no choice but to hand him a role as Chapman's closer role. And then I've got Clace out of Cleveland, who's been phenomenal as a closer. And then Gregory Soto out of Detroit, because again, like Oakland, you know, Detroit needs an all-star. So it's like, you look at that, and there are two guys in Soto and Montas who have to make the team, or whether it's Blackburn or Montas, either way, they're, you know, every team in baseball has to be represented. And there's just not room for a Valdez, for a Gausman. Even, you know, even with yesterday's poor start for a Christian Javier, who had a 13-inning stretch in back-to-back starts where or rather a 14-inning stretch where he struck out 27 and allowed one hit in consecutive starts. Pitching this year is so, so up. I look in the National League, and there are certain guys like Kyle Wright, Aaron Nola, Taiwan Walker, who are all fringe candidates to make the All-Star team. Pitching's up. I mean, if anything, maybe argue have fewer position players out there and just get more pitchers on the team because it is really offense is down, pitching's up this year. But at the end of the day, I think the people that know baseball best, and, and I think we're seeing, you know, while people want to call baseball antiquated, a lot of people my age just don't know the game that well. And, and I think fan voting reflects that. Let the people who know the game best pick the All-Stars. Let the managers, let the players, let them vote on who goes to the All-Star game. Because at the end of the day, this All-Star game matters more than it does in any other sport. And to see guys get slided in it just really, really pisses me off. When we get back, I can't wait for this. Bruce Pearl's joining the show, head coach of Auburn men's basketball. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're locked into Serralo Sports Talk right here, right now on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Serralo Sports Talk, and joining the show up next, he is one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. In fact, he's the reigning SEC Coach of the Year, head coach of the Auburn Tigers, Bruce Pearl. Coach, thanks so much for joining the show. Great to be with you, man. Uh, I'm, I'm a listener, so excited about being with you. I really appreciate it, Coach. That's, that's great to hear. Hey, let's start with the obvious news, right? A couple weeks ago, you and the Auburn basketball program had a hell of a draft night. Of course, Jabari Smith going third overall. First off, you know, I've been saying since college basketball, since the season was in full swing, that Jabari was the best player in the country. Obviously, his awards reflect that. So first off, how shocked were you? that he actually slipped to the third overall pick? And then, of course, what are the Houston Rockets getting in this young man? Well, Joe, a couple things. Um, and again, it's great to be with you. Uh, Jabari's always been behind uh, Pablo and Chet, mm-hmm. like always. There was never any doubt about that in high school, like for years. Um, he probably came to Auburn somewhere between four and eight, top 10 for sure, but he really wasn't in that top two or three. Until the season began, people got to see him in the battle for Atlantis. They saw him against some really good teams. And, oh, 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 uh, this this is different. Uh, he may be better than we thought. Yeah. Don't forget, we didn't beat Duke or North Carolina or Kentucky in the recruiting process on him. We beat 
Tennessee and LSU and Georgia, he didn't have that high, high, high major offer. So Jabari didn't really drop in the draft as much as he put himself in a position to possibly get drafted ahead of guys that were ahead of him for years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't work out that way. Uh, but I know what you're saying, because prior to the draft, everybody thought Orlando was going to take him. Um, you know, when you got a guy in Jabari Smith who's made more threes than any 6'10 player in the history of college basketball, and he did it at 42% yeah. from behind the line, I mean, you know, he shot a great percentage, and he had the volume, um, and he was the best player on the floor. I had him every single night. That just doesn't happen, you know, very often. Uh, his ability to guard one through five, um, the way he affects winning with his defense um, and his attitude. And, you know, he's going to be – he's the first pretty much in my mind NBA all-star that I've had. He's an NBA – he's a future NBA all-star. Yeah, you know, Coach, I really am not exaggerating when I say this. When I look at the season that Jabari just had and his size and his versatility, he's the smoothest one-and-done prospect I've seen since Kevin Durant. And that's no exaggeration. He really does remind me of KD, his one year at Texas. But, you know, he's not the only guy you had drafted in the first round a couple weeks ago. Walker Kessler started, of course, at North Carolina, found his way to Auburn, and the young man's already been traded twice. Now he's going to Utah where the reigning Naismith Defensive Player of the Year is essentially replacing a three-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year in Rudy Gobert. How do you think he's going to fit in in Utah playing that role? Well, I text Walker after, the, after he got traded, and I said, man, you know, last year you broke the NCAA record there for block shots in a single season, mm-hmm. and what do you do now? You've been in the NBA for six days, and you've already been on th- Three teams. That's got to be some kind of an NBA record, right? Yeah. Not exactly the record you're looking for. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you, you know, Rudy Bear, I know what size shoe he is, but those are big shoes to fill. Um, I think Walker's a really, really good upside prospect. Uh, he's a stretch five man, and um, he can shoot and will shoot that three ball. Um, he's got to shoot at a better percentage at the next level. I do absolutely believe he will. Uh, but then, uh, he's the best player. He was the best player in college basketball in the air last year, in the air offensively, catching everything, uh, finishing everything, and then obviously changing shots. He is not seven foot. He's not seven one. He's seven one and a little bit. <laughs> and that little bit, I think, is one of the things, the difference between getting it and changing it and blocking it. He's got a pretty quick second jump, so he does a pretty good job of collecting his own, you know, miss, his own block shot. And, um, yeah, I mean, he's going to – rim protection is very, very important um, in the league because everybody's playing, you know, four and five out. Mm-hmm. Everything is so spread. You've got to be able to get – you've got to be able to guys at the rim that can uh, that can change all those downhill shots and, 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 and go rebound the backside. So I think Walker is going to be, you know, going to be really, really good uh, in those areas. And he can – and he also can move his feet. He's got the ability to guard one through five just like Jabari does. And that's obviously what plays at that level. If you're just joining us here on Serralo Sports Talk, reigning SEC coach of the year, head coach of the Auburn men's basketball program, Bruce Pearl joining the show. Coach, we've got to talk conference realignment. Now, the SEC so far hasn't seen anything as crazy geography-wise as what the Big Ten did last week, adding USC and UCLA to a conference that hosts, you know, Rutgers, Maryland, Penn State. We're talking conference rivals some 2,500 miles apart. With college sports, inevitably, 
heading towards super conferences, more specifically the Big Ten and the SEC being the two top dogs there. How do you feel as a basketball coach? Because to me, this is a move that, you know, is predominantly being made for money. And with that said, for football. So as a basketball coach, how would you feel if you're coaching in Piscataway, New Jersey, and you've got to make conference trips to play UCLA, USC every year? What what do you think? What kind of impact will this have on the other sports such as hoops? And then, you know, the sports that make essentially no or way less money like baseball, soccer, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I think in football and basketball, it's not an issue. Uh, but I do think in those other sports, it, it is a, a major issue. You know, go, going from the West Coast to, you know, Happy Valley or to, uh, you know, to Rutgers and, you know, different places like that. You know, how's, how does it, you know, those teams, like you just said, soccer and, you know, baseball and, you know, other sports, volleyball, how those guys obviously travel. Look, the Big Ten, when the Big Ten went, Penn State, Rutgers, Maryland, uh, but really Rutgers, Maryland, more than the others, they went for eyeballs. They went for the television markets. Uh, it was Those were financial decisions. And then obviously L.A. Was a, was a tremendous financial decision. They've locked up many of the biggest television markets in the country, uh, with the exception of in the southeast uh, or, or in Texas. Um, and that's going to mean more revenue. And that's what that's obviously what is what is driving this. I think Commissioner Sankey uh, in the SEC uh, the Southeastern Conference. If you look at our fit point, every one of our states, we're all sort of connected. So Greg Sankey kind of coming out of the uh, collegiate mold uh, and uh, uh, rather than just the business mold, um, sort of done it like I think you would expect it to be done. I'm not criticizing what the Big Ten's done. I think for their own conference, it's uh, a, a very aggressive, but a rule that, a rule, you know, something that makes, makes obviously, you know, some financial sense this isn't over, you know, obviously this is just the beginning, um, you know, an LA less PAC 12. Wow. I mean, I was at Stanford, you know, mm -hmm. I know what LA was the recruiting hub of, and, and, and the, not just LA, but the greater Southern California region, yeah. the PAC 12 doesn't have a team in Southern California right now. I want to say 60% of the student athletes that are in the Pac-12, that's a guess, mm -hmm. come from California, maybe half of them from Southern California. Well, that's a gut punch. I don't think, obviously, the Pac-12 is going to be able to survive without some major other realignments happening. And then, you know, do, do the Washingtons and the Oregons stay as connected with the, with the Arizonas? Who knows? Doesn't seem like it's going to happen. I mean, right now, and, and they're just reports and rumors, but it looks like Oregon might be headed to the Big Ten following suit. And Arizona, Arizona State might be going to the new Big 12. I mean, you know, I don't know. For me, Coach, uh, even though I'm young, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. And I think that, you know, geography breeds some of the best rivalries in college sports. Obviously, look at you guys in Alabama. I mean, obviously, for football, it's even bigger. But in hoops, it's a tremendous rivalry as well, especially with both programs in recent years being very successful. And now it just feels like you're losing that. I'm not a fan. How do you feel about the fact that, you know, the SEC is inevitably going to have 2024 teams in the near future. Well, I'm with you, Joe, and I appreciate you being young and being a traditionalist. I'm old and I'm a traditionalist, so I hear you. But I wasn't in favor of when they changed the rules that really kind of eliminated trapping in the game of college basketball mm -hmm. uh, because of that whole, you know, my space, your space cone thing. I mean, we used to love to get involved in trapping and speeding the game up, and now you can't. It's really hard to do it legally. 
And I wasn't in favor of that, but you just got to adjust. And so we're going to have to make the adjustments. NIL is going to have to be an adjustment. Transfer portal is going to be an adjustment. Conference alignment has got to be an adjustment. The, the system of intercollegiate athletics in our country is still wonderful and amazing and has done as much to affect our, our society as anything. Think about the scholarships. Think about the racial barriers. Uh, think about the gender barriers that have been absolutely broken down. You know, poor kids from the inner city, poor kids from the rural America are now, we're now able to go to college uh, on an athletic scholarship that didn't happen 60 years ago. And so look, what we're doing really works. It's part of our society. You know, Saturday afternoons of college football, that's just not going to go anywhere. I, I think the rivalries will change, but we, we will survive. We just got to adjust. Well, coach, before I let you go, and I appreciate the time so much, you know, obviously last season, it didn't end the way that I'm sure many of us had anticipated or many of us had hoped. I will admit I had you guys in my final four last year. Uh, but look, <laughs> no worries at all. But looking ahead to next season, there's a lot to be excited about. You've got a really good recruiting class coming in top 15, top 20, anywhere you look. So tell us a little bit about what to expect from the 2022 Auburn Tigers. Well, Joe, you lose the best front line in college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, you Let's just start there. Um, we brought in Yoan Trailer and John I. Broom. Um, they were two of the better young inside prospects that were available in the spring. And we got, we got two of what may have been the top two or three guys that were absolutely on the board. And that was simply required. It was required because we lost, you know, Jabari and Walker. Um, they both have got great upside. They're both great kids. They both got terrific talent. I think they're both going to be going to be pros. Um, uh, Yoan, they're both, and they're both inside out players. They both can guard multiple positions, mm-hmm. uh, both really good workers. So I think our frontline white, where, where, where I can't anticipate it being as good, is still going to be very good. The question is in the backcourt, will we get better? Uh, will the returning players, Wendell Green and Katie Johnson and Alan Flanagan and, you know, Chris Moore and, you know, Leor Berman and Zepp Jasper, will those guys get better from a year ago and how much better? Um, and then we brought in uh, Trey Donaldson, a real solid point guard in Chance Westry, who's a combo guard that can play lots of positions that has got a lot of talent. And so uh, I think we're going to be competitive. But look, last year, we were picked fifth in the league. We won it. But we were still picked fifth. Why? Because the teams picked in front of us were Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, and Arkansas. I think all four of those teams will be picked in front of us this year as well. And there could be somebody else that slips in there. Um, but I think we're going to be picked anywhere between five, four, five, six, right in there. We might would be my guest. And I think this roster is capable of doing that. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have to, we're, we're in the middle right now of reinventing it. I love their work ethic. We're going to Israel this summer. Uh, and so we're preparing for that foreign trip. We'll be the first power five men's college basketball team to ever travel to Israel and play. Um, oh, wow. very, very excited. We're playing the Israeli national team, uh, and we're playing the, uh, uh, you know, some really, really good teams over there. Um, and hopefully this is the beginning of a every August event in Israel, attracting some of the best teams in college basketball, but also letting our student athletes experience their Judeo Christian and Muslim uh, uh, origins as far as the birthplace of all the religions. So I'm very, very excited about taking the team there. It sounds amazing, coach. Best of luck with that trip. It sounds like an incredible experience. And I will say before I do let you go, that as a St. Bonaventure Bonnie alum, Preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing. We're picked for nothing every year. So 
you know, if you guys are picked fourth, fifth, sixth, go win it again, coach. We're going to try. And, and you got a great coach in Mark Schmidt. Uh, by the way, Mark was a freshman when I was a senior at Boston DC. College. So yeah. I know him very, very one of the best offensive minds anywhere in basketball. Absolutely. Absolutely. Coach Bruce Pearl, thank you so much for the time. We'll be back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with my final word. All right, it's time for my final word right here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. Man, these hours just breeze by week after week. What an incredible spot right there with Coach Bruce Pearl from the Auburn men's basketball program. I mean, he is just such an authentic, genuine, good guy. Love the way Coach kept it real. I mean, his praise, you could tell how much this guy really cares about the guys who have played for him, about Jabari Smith, Walker Kessler, how much he wants to see them succeed at the next level, not for any of his own gain, or to say, hey, I, I coached them, I did that. You know, especially in today's era, in the one-and-done era of basketball, it's like you can see, you know, it's not like he had four years of Jabari Smith to develop him. You can see he just wants him to go out there and be the most successful basketball player to ever step foot on the court. Loved the way he kept it real, too, when it came to conference realignment. I, I mean, you know, look, it's the point I've been trying to make. Obviously, this is all a money grab, but I just don't see anything beneficial to the student-athletes about having conference opponents that are 2,500-plus miles away, you know, going from Los Angeles to Piscataway, New Jersey. It just doesn't make sense at all to me. And, uh, you know, the SEC hasn't done anything as drastic, as extreme as the Big Ten, but, you know, Coach kept it real. It seemed like he and I were on the same page there. Hey, look, there is a minute left in the show. And I want to give you all a best bet. But I told you, and I'm going to hold you to it, for daily best bets, make sure you go follow me at Joe Serralo on Instagram, at the Joe Serralo on Twitter. But tonight, there's still plenty of time to get this one in. It is a West Coast best bet, Tony Gonsolin. Like they always say at work, Joey C is rolling with Tony G. Take Tony Gonsolin to get the win. Now, the Dodgers' money line is an awful value. Gonsolin to get the win is plus 105. Hammer that, hammer it hard. In his last 11 starts, going back to the month of May, the Dodgers are 10-1 and in those 11 starts. Gonsolin is 9-0. and He's gotten decisions, he's gotten wins in 9 of his last 11. He's going up against Mark Leiter Jr., who as a starter this year for the Cubs, has an ERA of nearly 9, 9 earned in only 9 and a third innings pitched in 3 starts. He can't go deep. Expect the Dodgers to get to that Cubs bullpen early to put up runs. Tony Gonsolin to record the win's my best bet. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Thank you all for spending the hour with me. I'll see you next week, Thursday night, 7 Eastern, 4 Pacific, right here as part of Serralo Sports Talk on SportsMap Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.